If you're interested in getting that 15-minute clip or you're interested in seeing the hour-long DVD that goes with that clip, you can secure that through the church office uh, with Vicki. And there are materials that go with it and study guide and that type of thing. Any small groups, it's a great opportunity to continue the discussion. It raises an issue for us. And it's an issue that we are individually thinking about, but the church needs to think about, not just our whole church, but the larger church. And Pastor Steve and Michael and I have been thinking about. And it raises the question that I've been asking myself this week, which is, Lord, how how would you have us in this generation, with the challenges that we're facing, be faithful to our calling to be the church, be the body of Christ in this particular culture? at this particular time, in this particular place. You know, we've got to admit in our gut, it's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? It's a bit... uh, All the changes that have happened, it's just like a steamroller, for uh, particularly for us who are a little older, which isn't, of course, me. I mean, I'm talking about the older people. Um, But it, it really has left us dazed and disoriented. And we're tempted, beloved, listen, to go in one of two directions. In the direction of fear and denial, like the ostrich putting his head in the the sand, or the opposite, to become embittered and, and angry and even militant and hostile in reaction. But if you think about it, neither of those two reactions is really a faith response. They both actually are motivated by what? They're motivated by fear. And God tells us to fear not. I've been told 365 times in the Word, it says to to fear not. Every single day of the year, God wants His people, us, not to, to, to fear, to be reminded. Don't fear. That is not the right response. Don't be evil, don't be naive about evil on the one hand, but don't live in fear. Walk in faith. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, Jesus said. And it reminds me of a, a, a quote ascribed to Winston Churchill in the middle of the Blitz in London when they were being bombed during World War II. You know, everything was coming to an end, it seemed like, and apparently uh, Winston Churchill was purported to have said, this counsel, keep calm and carry on. That's not bad counsel. Keep calm and carry on. But doing what? That's the $40,000 question. What, What are we really called to do as Christians in this day? What would God have us do. Certainly it's not do nothing. How do we live in a post-Christian society? I suppose the shortest answer is like Jesus. But the truth is, when I I, I contemplated that for a while, it's true, but it's Not quite that simple for us. The truth is we're not Jesus. How would Jesus use us 
in this complicated world. And, and let's begin, if you will, in your context, in your little sphere of influence or mind. How would God have us maximize whatever time we have to have influence for the kingdom of God? It's distasteful for us. It's hard for us to swallow. It catches in our throats. It's obvious that the, uh, the America we knew is changing. It's not as it was. And it makes us angry. These last 40 or 50 years, so many things have gone on. And the debate, we could go back and forth. Is America now a post-Christian society? Is it a, is it a pluralistic society? Is it a, is it a pagan society? We could, could, but, but the truth is, it doesn't really matter what we call it. It grieves our soul. It disorients us. And I was thinking about this, and, and it, it, it's, it's not wrong that our nation is a place, we rejoice in it, where different people of social classes and religions and races are together in society and continue in their different traditions and, and interests. A civil pluralism is, is one of the great blessings, actually, of, of our country, and, 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 our, and we can celebrate it. It's part of what makes America a great nation. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. We're not lamenting today the, 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 the multicultural and the, the riches of our country. It's what makes us great in many ways. A, a civil pluralism is, is a wonderful thing for our country. We're talking about a religious pluralism that leads to a paganism that, that, that progressively seeks to redefine the values on which uh, our society has become great. Isaiah said, uh, where justice and truth and morality is trampled in the streets. You see, where anything goes, where everybody's truth is, hey, it's, it's as important as everybody else's truth. Is it really? Is that the way a, a family is built? Is that the way that its nation has been built? Where anything and everything goes. Where everybody does what's right in their own eyes. If we understand in our gut that that's not going to work. I want to give you the best quote that I know. And it's on the back of the bulletin. Would you take your bulletin and look on the back? Because this quote helps me to understand where we are right now in the country. And I'd like you to look at it if you would. It's on the back of the bulletin. I'm going to read it. It says there, There is an essential pattern of thought that underlies all of civilization. That is, A, we either shape our desires to truth or we attempt to shape truth to our desires. I want you to let that sink in because it's very profound. It, what it's saying is every civilization has a foundation off of which it's created and built. And our civilization, beloved, is built off of Judeo-Christian values. That's how we were built. And that honestly is part of what's made, the major part of what's made us a great nation. But there's a redefinition that goes on if you're not careful. There's a, a, a pattern of thought that underlies that either we're shaping our desires to given truths or 
we're attempting to redefine and reshape truth to our desires. The former brings freedom. The latter brings chaos. The, the saying's true. If we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. Any road won't get you there. There are actions that lead to consequences. Roads lead to destinations. There's a, a saying in recovery groups that, look, you're free. You're free to do anything you want. Have at it. You're free. But you're not free of the consequences. Can you say amen to that? And you may say, well, I don't believe your, your morals. Somebody in the society may say, well, I don't, I don't believe your morals. It doesn't matter. Have at it. What goes around will. It, it's going to come around. Because that's the way the creation was, was made. And we need to be so careful, beloved. Listen, we need to be so careful as believers that, that we don't begin to take on, uh, you know, in, in our rightness, a self-right attitude, a self-righteous attitude that we, we are better. To be honest, I, I don't always live up to the things that I believe. How about you? I don't always live up to what I believe, but I know the truth is true. And I know that I need to be living in terms of those truths or I get further and further lost. I can't reinvent and reimagine how, how I want it. No, it's such a dangerous, dangerous thing. We're living in a day where more and more there's an attempt to shape truth to our desires rather than our desires to truth. What's to be our response? Well, we can bury our head in fear and just act like nothing's happening. We can get angry and hostile and even militant. Or is there a third alternative for us that was used by Christians in every post-Christian or pagan society since Jesus walked the earth? Which is to adjust to a new environment and live like missionaries becoming effective within the context which God has placed us. Could it be that God is calling you to be a missionary? That He wants us to adjust to a new situation, to infiltrate, to, to be of influence? Could it be He's calling you to be a missionary and me to be a missionary cross-cultural? And you know, as foreign missionaries, I believe probably Doug and Beth and others may be here today, as foreign missionaries, our goal isn't simply to be right. It isn't simply to be right and kind of look down on the natives, if you will, in a self-righteous superiority, even judgment. You know, it's easy to begin to do that and even to begin to get angry. I, I, I've gotten very angry and I can pick up that if I'm not careful with what I see in the world but then I realize if I pick up the same spirit of the world what hope is there for the church and for the world we can't pick up the same spirit 
we're going to have impact and influence in our culture, we've got to be salt and light. Because listen, if the salt, as they mentioned on the video, and the light is extracted, if the salt is, is extracted, the, the society begins to rot. And if the light is extracted, uh, it becomes dark. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God shall be multiplied. Psalm 16. As a person who's done counseling for 35 years, I can promise you that is the absolute truth. If you barter for another God, your sorrows, your, your, the brokenness will be multiplied. Not might be. It will be. Because you're building on a foundation that's contrary to the way God created the world to roll. You can't live, and I can't live any old way I want, and it go well with us. And I say this particularly with compassion for young people today. Because I, I, I see people living in whatever they, they want. They don't understand that there will be. You can, you're free to do whatever you want, but you're not free of the consequences. There is a day when they will come back. You're building something. With each choice, you're going somewhere. And it's a destination. That's where we come in as believers, as a church. We're not to stand in self-rightness. We're to be available to the world, to non-believers when their lives will fall apart. There is good news in the midst of the, the difficult news. What's wrong can be made right, but how do we share it? We talk in recovery about, look, I'm just one beggar sharing with another beggar where I found some food. We're simply, uh, we're not the good news, but we bear witness to it. We, we have to have an attitude where we know where we've come from and we received grace and mercy. Amen? We've got to be willing to extend that to those who are going to be so broken in the world. What was that? Was that amen? Thank you, honey. That was a hallelujah? All the better. God can reverse the curse, but not by covering them up. It's not by covering the truth, but, but by exposing the truth and finding grace. There is hope, but it must be built off of truth. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I don't have to live that way. I can live any way I want. It will not go well with you. Jesus said, if any man abides or follows or dwells in My words, he or she will know the truth experientially and the truth will, will set you free. It, it restores hope. It brings redemption to us. And that's what we have, beloved, to share with the world the hope that is within you. First Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer 
to everyone who asks to explain the hope that is within you. Paul, and I'm about to get to our scripture, by the way. Uh, Paul, uh, he had a hope within him. He knew he was in bondage to the law. You know, we can go one of two ways. We can be in bondage to the law and we can be in, in bondage to license and freedom. Either one of those are a bondage. Paul had been in bondage and yet he had found a hope and he wanted to share with all his being the hope that he had found within him. 1 Corinthians 9.19, if you put that up. For though I'm free from all, he says, I've made myself a servant to all. Why? To win more. To the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win the Jew. To those under the law, I became one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became one outside of the law, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all. Why? For the sake of the Gospel, that they might share in the blessing. Paul had found a blessing that had changed his entire life. How did Paul share it? It's important. Think about this. How did Paul share it? He came alongside. He became befriended. But most important, verse 19, look at it. It says, He did it by servanthood. For though I'm free from all, I made myself a servant of all. And it's so important, beloved, to think about this for just a minute. He didn't have to serve anybody. But he chose to. And he put himself in a a posture, an attitude, a tone. It's important to have the truth, but it's also important how we share the truth. Do you realize Jesus did both of those? The Pharisees had the truth, and they killed people with it. Jesus held the truth in a way that brought eternal life. So Paul, he evangelized by (coughs) being a servant, by putting himself under those he was seeking to minister to. It wasn't just his strength of persuasion and the powerful of his presence and his argumentation and coercion. Yes, he used words, but the way he used the words was that of a servant putting himself under. And second, why did he do this? Verse 23 tells us, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. I want you to think about that for a second. The Apostle Paul, he knew Jesus. He could have just retreated into a church and enjoyed the fellowship. And, but there was something in his soul where he remembered how lost and how burdened and, and, and how hurting he, and dis, desperate he was. He was despairing. Oh, wretched man that I am. He had found something, a blessing that had changed his life and he was compelled he was compelled to serve, to, to share it uh, with others this unmerited favor that he had received how do we do it and i just listed there a number of things on the back of the bulletin if you'll follow 
It just I, I listed a lot of ways that, that we can share the hope that is in us, that we can be used to, to touch and come alongside and minister. Acts first of love and service to those around us. When people know you care about them, they're much more open to hear what you've got to say. You know the saying, people don't care how much you know unless what? They know how much you care. They They don't care how much you know. They don't care about your righteousness and your church and this, that, or the other. They, they, they don't see that. They just feel who you are or not. Second, we can offer radical care for the poor and work for justice. Don't you see that this is one of the reasons why the church moved from a very small minority and exploded and became the majority over time? The early church was willing to serve the poor and, 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 and to bring justice. They created hospitals. They created orphanages and halfway houses and, and, and cared for the poor. You see, they were, it wasn't a show. They believed in the dignity of all human beings, which was unheard of in that day and that society. Three, we can pray as believers and stand firm in our Christian faith and and moral convictions in a culture that's progressively celebrating the things that lead to brokenness and darkness and death. Jesus offers a compelling uh, alternative, healing and life. It's almost like the culture now celebrates death and, and, and all the other things. They, they, it will not go well with you. <coughs> Jesus created a little colony of life in the midst of a culture of death. Four, we can partner. Dean, do you mind get me a little water? Can I, or, thank you. We can partner in common causes for the common good. You know, Christians, beloved, are not the only ones who care about the world. There are other people who care about the world. And we need to be partnering with them and coming alongside them and and demonstrating that we care about the world also. And working with them to address these concerns brings us into a, a meaningful contact through which we can share the hope that is within us. We can bear witness to why we do what we do. Five, we can offer a strong community of of, of welcome and worship, a place where we can come and, and, and lift our hearts to God freely. People need to come in to, to a fellowship that's welcoming. And I tell you, one of the things that we, Pastor Steve and I love to hear is when somebody is new and they say, uh, you know, I felt so welcomed the other day when I came. It just made, it makes us feel like, praise God, thank you for welcoming new people and not just sticking with the people you know. Thank you. You know, somebody said people come to church for many reasons, but they stay for one. Friendship, fellowship, relationship, connection. Someone cared. Somebody remembered my name. In a a society where nobody cares, they're wanting to use you. We see people as people. 
worthy, having dignity before God. And you know, beloved, we can't just reach out in these ways. We also have to have an element of protecting what's valuable in the Christian community. It is being attacked. Our values are being attacked. And we must steward them. We have an inheritance of a faith once delivered to the saints. And we need to contend for that treasure to be passed on. Oh, the Gospel, the the good news, the blessing, Paul said. I I want to pass it on because it is life to those that find it. Six, we've got to deepen our personal discipleship. You know, we've got to become spiritually fit. And in order to become spiritually fit, there's got to be a rigor. We've got to allow ourselves to be challenged. And you won't be challenged, beloved, unless you put yourself in some relationships. Unless you get in a small group. Unless you have a prayer partner. Unless you're willing to go beyond the walls. You don't get challenged. And what happens? If we're going to be fit, we have to be willing to be challenged. Seven, we need to cultivate the spiritual character and formation of our children. I love the fact that new things are being done, so many now, with our children and with our youth. We're fortifying that area and, and, and growing. And, and it's such an important area. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. These words I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and, and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You know, the film said each generation is, is an invasion of barbarians who must be cultivated before it's too late. There's some truth to the fact that it must be cultivated. There's a, a time of forming hearts and we must hold on to that and steward it. Eight. We need to form counterculture communities as alternatives to the prevailing culture of, of death. Of, uh, uh, we, we need to see that there are alternatives in the world. You know, Horace used to say, uh, our pastor emeritus who's with the Lord, he, he used to say, you know, people know the difference, Jim, between life and death. And they'll gravitate to the light, the, to the life. Little colonies of light they'll find their way to if we form them. Nine, our deepest identity we must know is in God. And our primary citizenship is not being an American. Our primary citizen is what? I'm a citizen of heaven. My pr- I-, I am American second and a, and a Christian first. Our, it, can you say amen to that? Isn't that right? I, it's not that I'm saying I love my country. But my primary citizenship is with the Lord. That is where my identity is. That's where my life is. That's where my destiny and future is. We must find our identity there. Our citizenship, Philippians 2, 
3, rather 20, is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we make our primary identity the Lord and our ultimate destination heaven, then our hope is made more secure and solid. We have an inheritance. We're not going to get... We already have that. And we're waiting for a full reception of it. Ten, be willing to endure loss and suffering for the Gospel's sake. You know, Jesus said, in the world there's going to be some tribulations. That's just the truth. Don't be surprised, 1 Peter, when it says, when you go through a fiery ordeal that's come upon you. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. We, we have to not expect everything to be easy and, and for there to be no uh, anybody who disagrees with us. There's got to be the, the courage for us to say, in the right spirit... This is where I stand. These are my convictions. I believe these things are true. And when we start allowing the, the world to tell us what we can and cannot uh, say in terms of our convictions, something's very wrong. Eleven, we must fight against dehumanization and the destruction of life. How many forms does that happen in today? So many. It, it, it's, it's all over the place. It's legion. We must fight for the dignity of every human life from conception to death. Infants and the elderly and everyone in between, the rights of every race and every creed and every color are, are sacred to the Lord. And I end with this. With what emotion do we carry these things? Quite honestly, the first emotion that I have is, is, is grief. That's where I have begun. Beloved, we love this country. I know you love this country. And I'm grieved, and you are grieved by where it is and where it's going, it seems anyway. Our capacity, we understand that our capacity to bless the world is being diminished. It's a bitter irony to recognize in large part that what made this country great is becoming increasingly unwelcome in it. Amen? What made this country great is more and more unwelcome. I grieve and you grieve at the squandering of the favor and the blessings of God on this country for, for centuries. And finally, I grieve for those whose lives are going to become devastated because they have believed lies, young people particularly. But beloved, I don't grieve and we don't grieve as those without hope. Because our God is greater. He has proven His ability to deliver and to redeem. Amen? And He's called us to follow Him. Amen? Look what He did in your life. Think about where you were and what you had gone through. Can He not do that for others? Amen?
No matter how far we've fallen, His arm is not too short. We do grieve, but not as those without hope. And it leads second to the second emotion, which is compassion. We become compassionate when we start to see people who are where we were. We become brokenhearted with the, the fact that they've confused the way of death with the way of life. They're trying to fill the emptiness, the void, with something that actually will hurt them. Maybe by their own hand. Maybe by the abuse of somebody else. It doesn't matter. The church has to be prepared to receive them and, and to embrace them. The church must be a place of grace for all people without judgment. An invitation to, to heal. Come, heal here. Be restored. <coughs> and finally, this is the last point promise. The final emotion that I have is, is bright, is actually joyful. Because there is joy in the Lord. The, the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There is joy. Not there will be joy. There is joy right now, today, in the Lord. And that joy is our strength today. We can have joy, even in the midst of difficulties. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of focusing on the problem. I, I, I want to focus on the solution. And I thank God that, that He's put us on a, on a mission in which Jesus has already won. Can you say amen to that? I've read the end of the, of the book. We win. <coughs> Regardless of what else happens in the, in the world, it's not the end of the story. Regardless of of whichever direction the culture goes. It's not the end of the story. Regardless of the price that, that you or I may need to pay, it's, it's not the end of the story. The end of the story is we win. In the end, we, we win. And, and, and we are taken home. And we're forever uh, with the Lord. And isn't it great that we know that? Until then, we have a mission. And so, Father, I, I pray that as we bow in this place, that we would be reminded that we are missionaries. That we've been called into a new environment. Thank You for the joy of the Lord. It is our strength. And we thank You that that joy is now. We don't have to wait till everything turns out well. No, we can have joy in the Lord right now, in this place, in this time, that, that we want to share that hope that You've placed within us in our sphere of influence. Lord, we pray that we would not be those who shrink back in fear or become embittered with the same spirit of the, of, of the world. Lord, if we lose hope, what hope is there for the world? Thank You, Lord. Seal in our hearts the willingness to seek You on these things. We've won the battle. We have a hope. We pray, Lord, that one day it will be said of us that, that they were faithful to God's call in their generation. May we be to ours. So, Father, remind us Seal in our hearts these things. 
Give us courage for this generation and for those to come. For those that are to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if we could stand and close with a declaration. Our God is greater. Let's sing that together. So our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Somebody new on your way out. Take a minute to do that if you would.